Hello. We're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. If you think I'm going to offer you some tricky management, personal development tips, forget it. If you've come today to church to get some really nice little memes and tips, little sound bites, I haven't got any for you. So I want to talk about how you make supernatural plans. You won't ever hear this in any management seminar. How many times have you made New Year's resolutions that sounded something like, this is going to be the best year because, and I'll let you fill in the blanks. It's a big project to make sure you have the best year. So the next question is, how do we start? This week, Dr. Corbett continues the best series, not because it's the best he's done, but a series looking at the best for you. Let's join him now as tonight we look at how to have the best year. Thank you for being here today and thank you for joining with us online as well. If you are watching on Facebook or uh, YouTube, just let us know where you're watching from. We'd love to, to know where you're, where you're participating from. I'm continuing what I'm calling the best sermon series. It's not that it, it'll be my best or has been or will be my best. It's just what, what we're looking at, different aspects of best. And today I hope that I encourage you with what we're going to look at. One of the things I don't want to do is convey the impression that I'm here to give you a little bit of uh, perhaps life coaching or some kind of pep talk because that's just not what I do. But I do want to want to strive to help you to connect what God's Word says with your life, to intersect with your life. So in that sense, that's what I'm referring to as pastoring, and that's what I want to do. And that's, that's what I see this component of our worship service. We have not stopped worshipping, now we're going to listen to the Word of God. We continue to worship. This is a part of our worship. Worship is our surrender to God and how we express that surrender to God. So as Denise mentioned about the offering, the offering is an act of our surrender to God. It's a part of our worship. When we talk about praying, it's a, again our acknowledgement that we are surrendering to God and calling on Him because we are dependent on Him. That's a part of our worship. When we give heed to the Word of God, we are stilling our souls, stilling our hearts and allowing his word to shape our lives so that we can surrender to God. And that's what we're striving to do. So while this might sound a little bit hubris, you know, sounding like arrogant, that this is the best sermon series, just understand that's where my heart's coming from here. I mentioned in, this is the second instalment of this, in, the, in our previous instalment I looked at the, the way to achieve the best of anything is to have a plan. And so in order to be the best or to achieve the best, it requires an intentional plan. So I hope as a result of us being together now and giving heed, not just hearing, giving heed to God's word, that something in your heart says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So that we leave this time together with each of us making a decision, an intentional decision, this is what I know I have to do. When we use the, the term the best, it can sound competitive, it can sound, again, arrogant, and that's not my heart either. Because to be 
the best, for you to be the best, is not necessarily, we don't necessarily mean that you have to be better than anyone else. So I guess in, a, in the world of competitive sport, to be the best involves necessarily being better than someone else. But what we're talking about is for you to be your best. For you to be your best is not a matter of you comparing yourself with someone else. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that. We do not compare ourselves. One of the, one of the I, I guess, one of the greatest inspirations we might have when we're talking like this is Paul's relationship with Timothy. Timothy, we know, suffered from a lot of self-confidence that he didn't have. He, he, he was unsure, he was uncertain of himself. And we picked that up in Paul's epistle to Timothy when he wrote to Timothy and, and he said, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Don't be afraid, Timothy. It's, but God's given us the spirit of power and self-control, a sound mind, the old King James says. So there's a sense in which we, we know something about Timothy because of this. So then Paul, giving Timothy these injunctions, said this very simple thing to him. Do your best. Do your best. And if we hear that as be better than someone else, we're not hearing it. This is how Paul said it. This is first, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2.15. Do your best. In fact, he said this to Timothy, I think, three times in his, in his two epistles to him. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So this is kind of the heart in which I want to share today. That when we're talking about the best, it's the best that we can be. I was given a set of... of C.S. Lewis's books, some that I wasn't even aware that he'd written uh, for Christmas and, and uh, there was a bit of a scheme among my, my family members because some of them gave me some and, and someone gave me a hardback of uh, one of them called Mere Christianity. I'm, I'm sure many of you have read Mere, Mere Christianity. In Mere Christianity, when C.S. Lewis talks to an audience that is unfamiliar with Christianity. And he gave these as radio talks, 15-minute radio talks during the Second World War, when people were asking these deep questions. What's life all about? Why am I here? What, what on earth am I here for when London in particular had just gone through the Blitz, where downtown London had been bombed to smithereens? And here's... C.S. Lewis on the radio, BBC radio, giving these radio talks that later became this book, Mere Christianity. And he's talking to an audience that he assumes is largely unfamiliar with what being a Christian is all about. And he could be justified in thinking that because most British people at that time thought they were Christians. After all, they were part of England. England was a so-called, quote-unquote, Christian nation. But he actually describes mere Christianity in terms that would have been incredibly unfamiliar to his audience. And one of the things he says in there in talking about virtue, virtue is, we use that expression, and, and, and virtue means to be good. And God wants us to be good people, and C.S. Lewis points this out. And one of the things he says is that to be good, there are certain things you have to do. 
And he makes this point that God does not expect his people whom he redeems to be slack, to be slothful, but to work at being the best they can be. And I appreciate that sentiment because it's, it doesn't, doesn't at all imply that I have to be better than you. In fact, that's why when I see someone do something well, I can clap and think, well done. It's not, a, it's not a statement of I'm less. It's a statement that you have worked hard. So this is what I think is reasonable when it comes to these sentiments that Paul is conveying to Timothy. And that is this, that if you're going to be your best, it's going to mean that there's a price to pay, a price for you to pay. So I want you to think about this statement. For you to develop an intention requires a commitment to pay a price like how many of us a few days ago made a new year's resolution that said right this year i'm going to lose weight all right you know who you are there are some of you and you should have said that anyway um thank you for laughing and not being offended and storming out thank you for that but you know the intention to lose weight this year if that's your intention and it's been mine for the last few years and it sort of hasn't kicked in yet anyway, is it requires that a price is paid, doesn't it? Now, if that's the case with something as trivial as weight loss, I want you to think about the most intentional person that's ever lived and how this statement corresponds to that. The price that was paid in order to live an intentional life was exhibited most fully by Jesus Christ himself. Christ paid a price. He was highly intentional. Now at this point, I just want to point out to you that sometimes we hear words like this, live intentionally, live, in, live, on, uh, li- live with purpose in your life. And we think that we're talking about some kind of um, self-improvement tricks and, and uh, motivational talk and all the rest of it. And, and please hear me again. That's not where we're going. It's not where I want to be. It's not what I'm trying to convey to you. But I do want us to hear the challenge, the challenge set before us by Christ, the one whom we follow. And if we follow, we walk in his footsteps. I hope that's not a stretch for us to appreciate. To be a Christian is to walk after the example of Christ. He paid a price. And it might sound that if you're on a, paying a price thing that that again you might mishear me and think I'm saying you've got a task and it's all about being task driven and it's about doing and doing and doing when in fact when we look at Christ you should be impressed how often he took time out to be with people in fact as I was reflecting on the gospel of John in in writing the my pastor's desk this week I was looking for an example of where Christ took time out from his incredibly important intentional ministry to spend time with one person. As I went through the Gospel of John, I thought, hang on a minute, every chapter of John, every chapter, the Gospel writer describes Jesus spending time with one person. Jesus had time for people and I hope that in our pursuit of being the best that we can be individually, 
and now hear me for us to be the best we can be as a church that we don't forget that along the way God calls us to interact with people and to be kind and all the rest of it so I want you to I want you to consider this this is Jesus he reaches the age of 30 the gospel tells us and at 30 he leaves home he then goes to his local synagogue in Nazareth and it seems that in those days there was a custom or a, a, an invitation given within the synagogue meeting for someone to step up and read a portion of scripture. On this day, this Sabbath day, Jesus does that. So we read this. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So we know leading up to this, he's been baptised by John. He's gone out into the wilderness. He's had an encounter with the Satan. And he has now headed back north up to Nazareth where he had been brought up, Luke tells us. And as was his custom, note that, as was his custom. And Luke does point this out, that even when... On one occasion when the people of the synagogue dragged him almost, manhandled him to the brow of a cliff to throw him over. And the Bible says that Jesus turned around and walked away. He just somehow they just scattered and, and he walked through them or between the crowd. And then the next verse says, on the next Sabbath, he was in a synagogue. I think, hmm, that tells us something about what it takes to follow Christ. Don't be too offended by those people who, after a Sunday morning service, drag you to the edge of a cliff and want to throw you off. Just shake them off, walk through them, go home, come back next Sunday. Oh, those amens were reverberating. That's awesome. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Now, do you reckon he knew that was going to happen? Absolutely. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now this is something that the prophet Isaiah had prophesied would be a description of the Messiah. And Jesus reads it, but that's not where it finishes. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. King James says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. What is the year of the Lord's favour? It happened every 50 years. What was, it, what was it called? Anyone know? Jubilee. It's the year when all debts are cancelled. It's the year when you start again and it happened Every 50, well, it was supposed to happen every 50 years. And my understanding is Israel never celebrated it. They never did it. And then Jesus walks into this synagogue 
on that Sabbath, opens that scroll and he says, this is it. Debts will be cancelled because I've now turned up. Huh. Oh, and it gets better. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And I'm wondering if he needed to look at the scroll to read it. My hunch is he didn't really need the scroll and he didn't need to look at the scroll when it was given to him because he would have known it. In fact, he inspired Isaiah to write it. And he began to say to them, so he sat down, right? He sat down and then he says to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> Can you imagine what's going on in that synagogue at that point? Now, I want you to hear this. Jesus said, this has now been fulfilled. This is now the acceptable year of the Lord. The year of his favour begins. The year of his favour. And I'm going to suggest to you, we are still in it. It is still the year of his favour. It was an expression to say, the ultimate freedom has come. The ultimate freedom, the other prophets said, including Isaiah, would be the coming of the new covenant. So in order to live intentionally, we have to make plans. Jesus had plans. He had a plan. There's no doubt about it. There were times when he said, we must now go to Jerusalem. He had a plan. He knew what he was about. For us to walk in his footsteps, we need a plan. Now, again, if you think I'm going to offer you some tricky management, personal development tips, forget it. If you've come today to church to get some really nice little memes and tips and little, little sound bites, I haven't got any for you. So I want to talk about how you make supernatural plans. You won't ever hear this in any management seminar. This is what the book of James says, who was the half-brother of Christ. He said this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. See, James is about to say, not that kind of planning for the child of God, not that kind of planning for the one who would be supernaturally led. This is what he's going to say yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring what is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes i wonder how many of us think and i don't want you to dwell on this but how many of us think this could be the last day of your life occasionally have moments where i think what if this is the last few minutes of my life have I spent this so far, this day, well? Have I done well? And I think like that. Perhaps one of the, 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 the blessings of being a pastor is that you get, to, you get to attend more funerals than most. In fact, you're sort of conducting the funeral ceremonies. And so the, the, the thought that life is fragile, the li that your life is a mist... Is, is you're reminded of it over and over. Perhaps if you're here and there's many, I can, I'm looking here now, there's many people involved in, in medicine. You're aware 
of just how fragile life can be. And I'm not talking about people who die in traumatic road accidents or anything like that. I'm talking about people who five minutes before they died, they were seemingly well and healthy and then life stopped for them. It should cause us to just take stock. How are we spending these precious moments that we have now? And James says, instead, this is how you should speak. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. This is why some Christians use the expression, I will go here or there or do whatever, God willing. God willing. Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to say that, but I am suggesting that James is saying we should be thinking that. So we saw that when Paul the Apostle made plans, we saw that he started off in Jerusalem, he went to Uh, He was on his way to Damascus. He went to Damascus. He encounters Christ. He then goes off into the Arabian desert and he's receiving visions and revelation from Jesus himself. He then comes back to Tarsus and then we read that Barnabas comes over to him and takes him back to Antioch and Paul has a grand plan that he is going to preach the gospel and plant churches by just heading straight north. We saw this in our last session. And that 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 plan that he had to head straight north was altered by the Lord himself. The Lord said, stop, Paul. No more. Not here. So Paul heads, uh, heads west and he goes over to Troas. And there he receives the vision of the Macedonian man. And he interprets that as God's will for him to go to Troas, that is Macedonia, which is a part of Greece now. And so he goes there. He preaches the gospel in Philippi, in Thessalonica, in Corinth. And today, we are sitting here today because he did that. We are the offshoot of Paul's obedience to the Lord's will for his life. This is why we need to understand that good planning or should we say godly planning which means you're bringing God into the equation godly planning leaves room for the sovereignty of God to direct us no matter what that might be it might be to cause us to stop it might be to change our direction whatever it might be so when we're talking about godly supernatural planning James says you don't know what the future holds This is why I'm intrigued by pastors who can do a five-year plan, 10-year plan. I'm thinking, good on you. But five years ago, who thought we'd be in this situation? We can't always determine where life is going to go. But this is what I've come to see now when it talks about developing a supernatural plan, a godly plan. So I do want to talk about, Christ talked about in that in that first message that he preached where he simply said this is now being fulfilled this acceptable year this year of the Lord's favour begins now because he was about to embark on his preaching ministry so I want to talk to you about how to have the best year the best year and we are going to be looking at rediscovering the wisdom of God's word for our best What does God have to say? So how can you have the best year 
you've ever had? I want to give you the answer. You might want to write this down. You follow God's plan for your best. Let's close in prayer. No one's laughing. No one's, no one's, I was kidding at that point, but let's, let's proceed. But let me unpack this. You follow God's plan for your best. Now, some of you are going to go, yeah, but I don't know what God's plan for my life is. I don't know how to find God's will. And some of us have this notion that we need to wait around for the whisper of God to tell us specifically what to do. So let me remind you of the Apostle Paul's approach to forming a supernatural godly plan. Do something that God would want you to do. Paul wanted to preach, proclaim the gospel and plant churches. God wants that. Maybe today there are some hearing me and you you feel that's what God wants me to do as well. Wouldn't that be awesome? So to do that, you need to understand this. To have the best year of your life is not a 12-month project. And you might think, well, how does that work? How do you have the best year of your life and now you're telling me it doesn't involve a 12-month project? No, it doesn't. What does it involve? It involves a daily project. What you do each day determines the kind of year you're going to have. I really appreciated what Denise shared over the offering where she comes back to Tasmania, as she said, and that verse of Scripture, Hebrews 10.25, do not neglect to gather together as is the habit of some. Do not forsake the gathering. Don't, don't do that, but keep gathering. Keep putting God first and and the verse that Denise shared, Matthew 6.33, is, is one of those verses that I continually remind myself of. In fact, we concluded last week's session with that verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things that you ordinarily worry about. And Denise pointed that out. All those things you ordinarily worry about, God will take care of them. God will take care of them. We recently, and my children hate it when I use them as sermon illustrations, so it won't be you today, Ruby, as long as you behave yourself. But one of my other daughters was, uh, this might come as a shock to you, that, that um, girls can get really stressed. Um, just in the video, just add some laughter into that, end because I don't know what was going on then. And... One of, my, one of my girls who recently graduated from university was, was really stressed about her, her job options and she's probably watching now and she's probably stressed about what I'm going to say right now. And one of the things that I said to her, not as, her, not as a pastor, but as a, not, not even as a dad, just as a fellow believer in Christ is, sweetie, you, just, you do the right thing and just keep trusting God and just see what he opens up for you. But keep putting him first. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you and exactly exactly as Denise said she did that and exactly the same thing happened God opened a door for her and she's walked into what is her at this stage of her life her dream job because she put God first and I want to encourage you to to do that so to have the best year of your life is not a 12-month project it's a daily project where you need to understand this. And Kim and I were listening on YFM this morning to the story of 
a, a Christian who went over working for um, uh, uh, Voice of the Martyrs, who went over to Sudan and was going to be there for four days taking photos of the persecution and some of the, the difficulties that Christians in uh, North Sudan are facing, which is now, as you would be aware, there was a, a civil war there and it's a divided country now. And that four days turned out to be, was it 435 days where he was there, his four days, and as he's leaving at the airport, boarding pass in hand, gate is open, he's about to get on board, and the security police come up to him and say, come with us. And it was the Sharia law police, and they said to him, why did you come to our country? He tried to assure them that he was just there as a tourist. They looked at his computer and his phone, and they saw that he was there taking photos of persecuted Christians having evidence of what had happened to them and he was thrown in, f in, in a prison he was moved four times in different prisons he lost 25 kilos in the first three months of being in prison he said he was beaten nearly every day and yet he still held on to his faith in Christ and it's an amazing story so here's what I want here's what I want you to know that when you plan to have intentionally plan to have the best year of your life it's a daily thing and it's not determined by your circumstances so your year who knows what your year will behold this is the point that James is making we don't know what tomorrow will bring we don't know what this year will hold for us there are certain things that we can predict but there are certain things that we just have to trust God in the midst of so in the midst of those circumstances, here's what I want you to hear. That even in the midst of setbacks and disappointments that might happen, you can still have your best year. And I want to show you from Ezekiel's vision of the acceptable year of the Lord. That is, the coming of the new covenant, how God revealed it to him. And you might appreciate that Ezekiel was one of the, the captives who was taken from Jerusalem over to uh, Babylon and was held captive in Babylon. And it just, his whole world was turned upside down. And we read that Ezekiel was, was 25 years of age. He was about to uh, enter into his role of the of the priesthood and we we read that he he now couldn't because the temple was destroyed we also read that that god tells ezekiel your wife is about to die and you are not to mourn for her can it get any worse and this is what ezekiel went through uprooted from his homeland uprooted from what he thought was going to be his life purpose as a priest and then his wife dies suddenly oh my and then toward the end of his vision that he sees from the Lord he gets this vision of the new covenant the acceptable year of the Lord which is what Isaiah called it and note this this is how he sees it then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold water was issuing from be from below the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east 
the water was flowing down from below the south, uh, the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, this angelic person shows Ezekiel, the man measured a thousand cubits and he led me through the water. It was now ankle deep. So we're heading east out of the temple. By the way, where Jerusalem was located, where the temple was located, east of Jerusalem is wilderness and desert. Just hold that picture. And he measured another thousand, and he led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and he led me through the water, and it was waist deep. So we're now several miles away from this temple, heading into the wilderness. There's no water there. It's a dry, barren place. And here we have... Ezekiel being shown that there is so much water flowing out from the temple, speaking of the new covenant, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would come with the new covenant. It starts off as a trickle. It starts off ankle deep. It goes knee deep. It goes waist deep. And again, he measured a thousand. And it was now a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in. So it's now neck deep a river that could not be passed through. And this is a vision of what it's like to walk with Christ in the new covenant. To walk with Christ in the new covenant. Water represents the Holy Spirit. And here Ezekiel is being shown, Ezekiel, the day is coming when my spirit will flow from out of my presence because of the new covenant. And I will invite people to step into that water. And despite the fact that they're going to head deeper into a wilderness and a desert, they will be soaking and enjoying the water of life, Ezekiel is told that it's called later on in Ezekiel 47. This is a picture of the new covenant. It's a picture of the acceptable year of the Lord. How can you have the best year of your life? By going deeper with Christ and his spirit. This year... I'm going to challenge you to go deeper with Christ and his spirit. I'm going to come back and lead you in that prayer of challenge. Would you please stand? We are going to sing about this good God that despite no matter what your circumstances are, you can acknowledge that he is the good God.
Kim reminded me that the, the worker with Voice of the Martyrs said that he was beaten regularly and then one day a group of Eritrean refugees came in and he was able to share the gospel with them and all, something like 16 of them, all of them, accepted Christ as Lord. And then he said another few months went on and another group of people came in. He was able to share Christ with them and they all turned to the Lord. And this is what he said, despite my imprisonment, the last six months of my imprisonment were the best years or the best time of my life because he knew he was in that water that Ezekiel had prophesied would be what new covenant believers would experience. So here's the question. Do you want to have the best year of your life? Do you want to have the best year? We've heard those scriptures, seek first the kingdom of God, and now we are invited by Christ. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Is that what you want? If you're joining with us online, you can experience new life right now, right now. You can experience the peace that can only come from Christ right now. Would you join me in prayer?
Father, I pray for each one of us that, Lord, despite possible setbacks, despite possible disappointments, despite those things that circumstances might attempt to distract us with, that, Lord, you would give each person here the best year of their life. And, Father, as we think of the next 138 days until the Tasmania celebration when Will Graham will be here proclaiming Christ, that, Father, you would make a way for thousands, as Joe prayed earlier, thousands of people to come and to hear and for thousands to turn to Christ that they might experience this year being the best year of their lives. And now, Lord, I pray for those who are joining with us and those who are here present. Lord, for those whose hearts are being strangely warmed right now, that, Lord, a cry would come from their heart, God, have your way in my life. Help me to live for you the way you've designed for me to live. Please forgive me where I failed you and give me a brand new start today. And when Christians say amen, we mean let it be. So Father, we say amen, let it be. So let me just, before we dash out for a coffee and a tea where you won't have to wear a face mask if you've got a drink in your hand. Let me just say this, particularly for those who are joining with us online. If you want to know more about Christ and the Christian life, I want to meet with you and I'll do it virtually. I'll do it online. I'll give you an hour of my time. I don't want you to tell me about someone who wants to do that. It's got to be straight from you. Contact us. I'll make contact with you and we'll spend an hour together and we'll talk about spiritual matters. Let me pronounce the benediction. Father, We thank you for this time together. And now, Lord, I pray that we might know your love, the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. As we've heard tonight, to have the best year is to follow God's plan for your best. And it's not a 12-month project, it's a daily one. More from Dr. Corbett next week with more of The Best Series. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.